we got a few days of uh, people um, and stuff going on. Yeah. You know. Um, so what we're gonna so we're gonna do a little different. We're gonna start with uh, DJ. So we're gonna talk about early um, rock DJ or early like the first early kind of early DJ that early, was popular. Early DJs. Uh, be with you one second. All right, so let's do yeah. this. Let's rock it. So, all uh, right, welcome to another episode of The Rock Show. This is episode 57. 57. And we are at the Horseshoe Bar right now, taping live. This episode will probably be coming out like in uh, the third week of March. About. You know? Yeah, March uh, we got been, a little, We've been banging it out, right? We've been banging it out. Because yeah. um, the, ne- the next episode, the episode that people should be hearing in a couple of weeks, should be the pure hell and our death episode, which is our episode. So, Mike, what we're talking about? We're talking well, about Alan Freeman. Alan Free. Alan Free. Right. right. Um, um, the Mad Daddy, Pete the Myers. The Mad Daddy, Pete Myers. And Wolfman Jack. And holy shit, what a fucking what a career, right? What, these people were savages. Let's, let's have a little salute. Oh, uh, yep. Salute to everybody out there watching. Getting lumped up. There we go. Hello. Mr. Baker is always watching. Always. <laughs> I'm always here. Um, everybody, you know, if you're like our age, you remember free radio, but if you're younger, it's, it might be a little hard to understand what we're talking about here today. You know, rock and roll was uh, pushed by these DJs early on. Yeah. DJs that had a lot of balls. Yeah. Okay. Had, had a lot. They, they, they were brave. They, they were going against the grain putting their careers on the line, their lives on the line, yeah. to bring this music to the masses. Yeah, to the masses. But some of these people did not like the music in the beginning. No, no, they were no, no, about... no, no, no. There was, a lot, there was a lot of problems bringing this out. Yeah. People saw it as a threat. The police were involved. A lot of things. We're going to go into that today. Um, you know, I got rid, so we, you, you got to say the first guy that actually called a rock and roll was Alan Free? He was a- Alan Free, but 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 the thing is, is he didn't invent the term. No, he didn't invent okay. the term, but he, he actually was the one. He, he was he was the first mainstream guy to accept that form of music yeah. and say, okay, I'm going to bring it to everybody, and yep. I'm going to call it rock and roll. Rock and roll, the term, was used in the R&B community, mostly black radio stations yeah. and stuff like that. It meant fucking. Yeah. It meant sex. Yeah. Okay. We're gonna rock. We're gonna roll. Yeah. Okay. Really. And 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 he took that term and he you know he used it and brought it to the rest of America. Okay. To under you know make them understand what this new rebellious was. kind of music was. Yes. Exactly. Now, Albert James, called Alan Freed, was born December fifteenth, nineteen twenty one. Uh, in Winburg, Pennsylvania. His family would move to Salem, Ohio, and he always was musically inclined. Yeah. Okay, he played it, he played a trombone uh, in, in school. He wanted to be a big band leader. This was yeah. before rock and roll. Yeah. You know, he, he was into music. Now, unfortunately, he had a bad ear infection that would fuck up his hearing yeah. and he would give up music as a young kid. But uh, when he went to college, he went to Ohio State University, mm-hmm. and he got interested in this... this Buckeyes. Li- in, right, the Buckeyes, like Bar None. Yeah. And he was uh, into being a radio DJ. That's, yeah. what, that's what he decided he wanted to do. Uh, World War II came along, he ended up in the Army. Yep. And as a DJ, he worked for Armed Forces Radio. 
Um, after the war in 1945, he joined WARK Radio in Akron, Ohio, uh, and he played, what he was known for was playing like the hottest jazz and pop recordings he could find. Yeah, whatever was whatever was up and coming. He whatever was up and coming, yeah. he'd be on top of it. And you probably had a lot of um, people in the music business probably, hey, can you play my record? You play my record. Can, well, they, that would know. become a problem later yeah, on. Yep. But um, he would leave that station in, in 1953 because of... Uh, um, he, the, it, they basically, music was changing and he wanted to go along with it. So he would leave the station. But there was something called a non-compete clause yep. in his contract. And he ended up working only midnights at Cleveland's WJW station. Now, one of the sponsors of this station was like the hottest record store in Cleveland. Yeah. It was called Record Rendezvous. Yep. And this the store owner, the guy's name was Leo Mintz. And he was selling like R&B records. Yeah. Now, R&B records at the time, sometimes they called them race records, okay? This was black music at yeah, the time. pretty much. A and, and it was controversial. Okay? Yeah, it was very um, controversial. It, you know, and he was realizing this, this Leo Mintz that the, the, the R&B records were selling. Yeah. By all kinds of people. Yeah. Okay? They were actually outselling other genres. Yeah. All right? You know so, what the problem was? It was such a um, taboo R&B that... People pretty much thought it was fuck music or devil music. It was people, they, yeah. they just cause, you know what, the beat, it, it just made you want to dance. It was right. like that, that, that community that, there right. was something about it that you, you felt it in your bones. Yeah. Like the first time you hear like the Ramones, probably yeah. like, exactly. this is that, that's a this good, that's a good analogy. That's exactly. it, that's the electricity yeah. about it, you no, know? And, 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 you know, it, it was taboo. It was yeah. like, I shouldn't be listening to this, yeah. but I am, you know, and it was just good stuff. And. It was talking about topics that nobody was no. talking about. You know, the kind of music at the time was what? Perry Como and Rosemary <laughs> Clooney and all that kind of shit that your parents listened to, you know? It was like, you know, look, we just been through a world war. Yeah. People were like, fuck it, let's have some fun. Let's have okay? fun, yeah. And, and that's why this music was starting to outsell, but it wasn't getting really played. Yeah, really okay. Well. And but there were like underground clubs where they would play this oh, music, yeah, and the kids would go. And, yeah, but they but couldn't they, play around. But this people. was the this was the other side of the tracks. Yeah. This was the black side of town. Yeah. Okay. That you would go. Okay. Look, guys like Elvis. Okay. Around the same time, <laughs> down in, in, in Mississippi, yeah. was was hanging out in the black side of town, yeah. listening to this kind of music. You know? Yeah. It was all happening at the same time. Now, Mintz became friends with Alan Freed. And, and he spoke to him about trying to get some of his music being played on his show. And July 11th, 1951, there was a, this is like a shot heard around the world, basically, okay? It was the Moondog House on WJW 850 AM. That's right, the Moondog, yeah. Okay? Now, Freed called himself the king of the Moondoggers. Yeah. And it was the first time R&B music was being played to the masses. When I say the masses, I mean white people. White people, okay? yeah. And it was a major, major, major station. So R&B at that time was stations. Yes. But Alan Freed said, fuck that. We're going to play this for everybody. And uh, the way his show was laid out, like his demeanor was, was not like regular DJs. No. Um, at the time, which were very mellow, you know, radio-friendly voice. 
that kind of thing. But he would use like hip terms and and, oh, yeah, and, and slang term, yeah. and stuff like that. And uh, he coined, like I said, he coined the, the word rock and roll. He didn't make up the term; it was around. But he, but he used it to yeah. describe the kind of music that he was playing. Now, let me interrupt. Was you think this is the beginning of like um, shock jockey? Shock, shock disc jockey? Yeah. Is he like one of those or almost well, like because he's like like he's ahead of the time. There's nothing. I mean, it must have been. It like, was shocking. Yeah, like people were like, "What the it, fuck?" It, it, it was shocking. I mean, you know. He wasn't at a Howard Stern level. No, not Howard okay. Stern, but he was like the beginning of a, you yeah. can listen to his format. And no, you know, I mean, look, we're going to talk about these yeah. guys today. All yeah. the guys we talk about yeah. are, are definitely shock DJs. Yeah. yeah. All right? Uh, they changed the way it was. Yep. You know? So, later in 51, uh, he started promoting these dances and concerts around Cleveland. Um, it was called the Moondog Coronation Ball. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Now, March 21st, 1952, in the Cleveland Arena, and it was known as the first real rock and roll concert. Yeah. Uh, crowds were uh, at capacity, totally. Yeah, and sold out. Yeah, totally sold out. <laughs> and, and a lot of times these shows would be shut down because they were afraid everybody was rioting oh, yeah. and going crazy. It pretty much it was like almost like gangs. I thought they were like gangs, the people that would go to in a way, a weird way. In a they, way, they really wanted to stop yeah. the music and bang. well, look, they, look, they, it's the, almost the, like footloose. Yeah, <laughs> look, I mean the cops, the cops were like, you know, they had their way of doing shit. Yeah, people were like, no, we want to dance, we want to have fun, have fun, but they would shut it down. Yeah, you know, so. Um, what happened was, uh, now the crowds were at capacity, like I said, and, and these things would be shut down. But uh, Freed would would get all kinds of notoriety for this. And his time actually got extended yeah. on his show. Yeah. He expanded his show. Now, probably bringing the most revenue and most exactly. commercial after yeah, that. Yeah. So, I mean, wow, he was you know, getting what? a lot of commercial you know revenue. What? I want to advertise on this guy's show. He's, because it's huge. Everybody's yeah. listening no, to but him. Who, who's, who's his audience? The everybody, kids, everybody. But, oh, but also the more kids, more young kids. kids that are coming right. up, and these are going to be the future consumers. Yeah, you know, and, and what what's what's a little bit hard to understand now is, but back then there was before that there was never a teenage audience of anything. No, there wasn't teenage. You know, it was the just closest, the audience. The closest that you had was maybe in the forties during the Frank Sinatra times. Yeah, with the Bobby Socks and yeah. stuff, but it was nothing like this. Nothing like this. No, not that now, this was major. One other thing too is Cleveland was considered in those days a breakout city. Yeah, what, what yeah. was it with the, the some TikTok? Most of the them came from Cleveland. I was looking. I was like, what yeah. the fuck? For some reason, in those days, and it you know probably had a reason for it, but everything that happened in Cleveland. If it got popular, it became a national thing. International thing. You know, it's not like that anymore. Yeah. But it was like that then. So people were paying attention. Hey, what the fuck is going on with this free yeah. guy? You know, he's, he's yeah. bringing in all this money and yeah. all these kids. Okay, so tapes of his shows, his Alan Freed Moondog shows. Yeah, the Moondog okay, show. Okay, was starting to get played in New York City. Oh, yeah. Okay. And, 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 and there was a station called WNJR yeah. that was out of Newark back in the day. And they would play his shows, they would take them, play the shows, and it started to spread to here yeah. and other places. Like, who's this Alan Freak? Yeah, you know? now he's getting a yeah. variety. But in July of 1954, Freed would move to New York City, okay, which is where everybody wants yeah. to be. 
and he would come over to WINS 1010. Yep. WINS right now is a news station, yeah. but back in those days, it was a rock and roll station. I was shocked to learn that. You didn't know when, that? When did it turn into news? 1965. 1965, because yeah. they had that little timeline. I was shocked by that, because I never realized yeah. that it started as a rock and roll. I thought it was always news, you know, like 10-10 nope. wins. Nope. And, and just as a little trivia, the very last song they ever played as a rock and roll station was Out in the Streets by the Shangalas. <laughs> <laughs> and immediately after that, they went to, give us 22 minutes, we'll give you the world. <laughs> Okay. Now, um, unfortunately, Freed would would get sued by a New York City musician named Mundo. Yeah. All right. And and he knew who he was. Yeah. He did take his name, and he would get paid six thousand dollars, and he couldn't use the Moondog name anymore. But WINS didn't care, and they became a, a around-the-clock rock and roll station at that point. And 1956 would come along and Alan Freed's rock and roll dance pot party on uh, CBS radio from New York City was a huge hit. Yeah, huge. He, he, he was like starting to promote shows at the Brooklyn Paramount, okay, which yeah. was a place on, uh, I think on Flatbush Avenue near Myrtle. Yeah. That, that, you know, played, it was a big theater that, that it would, you know, would that play these shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he at that point, Hollywood would call. Yeah. Okay. And he would do some some films. Uh, there was a movie in 1957 called Rock, Rock, Rock. Um, excuse me. 1956 called Rock Around the Clock. Yeah, Rock Around. 1957 the was Mr. Rock and Roll. Yeah. Uh, Don't Knock the Rock. He had 1959 a movie called Go Johnny Go. And I think he played himself. He would he would usually yeah. play himself, and it was like, like announcing the hey, yeah. this is the new thing. Yeah, Alan Freed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and he would basically uh, be introducing everybody. Chuck Berry. Yep. The Platters, Screaming Jay Hawkins. Jay Hawkins. Eddie Cochran, Little Richard, uh, Frankie Lyman in the Teenagers, Bill Haley in the Comets. All these guys owe their careers to yeah, Alan to, Free. Yeah, Alan Free. Because he probably was the first one, all right, I'll play your song, but nobody else will give these guys a chance. And then people heard it. It was like, who the fuck is this? There weren't a lot of stations playing this no, stuff. No. So, you know, to get it out there, if you had Alan Free in your corner, that mean, that mean you you would you would you were it. You would like the fucking it fact. Oh you, you gotta listen to this guy. Why should I listen? And a free to listen to you. You gotta listen to oh he's playing and we gotta listen to it. Yeah. That's how it worked. Now in July twelfth, nineteen fifty seven. How did Billboard um, recognize him? Like where they were um would they go on his show to like rate the albums or the song because they was popular? You think they used him as a metaphor? I don't of, think so. Of the I, rating I, I, or I, just record sales? I, I would I would think they were probably just looking at record sales at that point. Now we're talking very early fifties. This is like you know For the same they must if let's say if I heard Screaming Jay Hawkins song, um what do you call it? I put a spell on you. I put a spell on you, and um, I said, you know what? I want to go to the record store. Wouldn't that generate record sales just by hearing on his show? Wouldn't people go out and buy the record, which would affect the billboards in a way? Possibly. Now, remember the Screaming Jay Hawkins episode yeah. we did? He didn't sell a lot. No, he didn't. Okay. And 
really that was because he was black. That's all. That's okay. all. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, it, and he was nuts. Yeah. You know, Chuck Berry was black, but he was a little yeah. bit more mainstream. Yeah, he was way, okay. way more mainstream. Um, he was more susceptible because Screaming Jay Hook, it looked like a gun. Look, the, guy, the guy came, he had a bone in his nose, and he came out on stage in a coffin. <laughs> with blue so, Man. Yeah, you were doing shit going on. I love it. Yeah. I, I would have loved it, but yeah, I would have bought the yeah, record, but, yeah. you know, nobody else. But. July 12, 1957, now ABC Television gave Freed a new show called The Big Beat. Yeah, how and, was he a little shot by that? <laughs> well, well, you know what? That's how huge he was. Yeah. Okay? So, and remember who was big yeah. in that? Dick Clark. All these guys were up and coming. And, and, and Alan Freed is getting his show. Yeah. But the way it was going to work, it was going to run for a summer of 57. And if it did well... It was going to extend into 58. But guess yeah. how many episodes there are? How many? Four. Why only four? You know why? Why? Because Frankie Lyman, from Frankie Lyman and the Teenagers, yeah. was caught dancing with a white chick. <laughs> on show. And that's it. And they didn't want to alienate the fucking assholes in the South, the Democrats in the South. Democrats. Democrats. Yeah, in the, the South. South. Oh, it's okay. very different then. Okay. And they, they didn't want to alienate them. And they actually, these fuckers wrote letters saying, what the fuck is this, this fucking black kid dancing with this white chick? Yeah. Okay. And they canceled the show. Wow. They actually gave into it and they canceled the fucking show. And you know what's funny? He was like a, the original, like the, actually like the first um, video beat jockey in a way. In a way. Because he was on TV before yeah. these videos and yeah. stuff. He was, yeah. he got it. He was so big that they gave him his, they're like, here, yeah. do what you do best. You know? They, yeah, they gave him like freedom to do the show. Think, think about the show with the last. We probably would have never. You probably, probably would have had the Beatles play on his show first. Well, you know, it it, it it got canceled on a national level, yeah. but it would continue in the New York City okay. area until 1959. Okay, but, okay. They, but they kept it as a local yeah, on Channel local. Five. All right, Channel, Channel Five, Five ran it locally. Yeah, you know, now. Um, there was an appearance in Boston in 1958 that Alan Freed did, and there was some skirmishes before the show, yeah. a little writing, and he basically, he comes out and he says, well, it looks like the Boston police don't want us to have a good time tonight. <laughs> That's it. That's what he Well, did. guess what happened? They arrested his ass, okay? Now, they arrested him, and they basically charged him with inciting a riot. Yeah. And uh, he got fired from WINS yeah. because of that. But it was great. And, well, I, but it would be it would be the beginning of the end for Alan Freed, yeah. unfortunately. But think about it. He was like the modern-day NWA. <laughs> getting arrested for playing... Uh, playing a song. Yeah. What is it? Kill the police. Kill, fuck the police. Fuck the police. It's like, oh, my God. But it this, wasn't, you know, I mean... And this guy didn't even say that. This guy, I guess it'll wanted to have a good time. Take think, him in. Think, think of the early rock and roll songs yeah. back then. What were they talking about? Teenage love. Yeah, teenage okay. love. And, and stupid shit hanging out yeah. in the corner. These were not songs that were a threat to society. No. But because of the interracial aspect of it, uh, yeah. and because of what they were singing about, like kind of juvenile delinquency yeah. kind of shit, they, you know, the police were like, fuck that, we shut it down. And... They arrested him, but he would never be the same after that because once he lost a job with INS, yeah, he, was, he uh, lost a lot of yeah. power and influence yeah. and everything. Now, at the same time, there was something called the Paola Scandal. Now, the Paola Scandal 
was basically DJs, and Alan Freed was implicated in this. He'd take money. Would be take yeah. money to play certain songs. Yeah. It was a, it was a controversial thing, um, and he would be brought down over this because not only did he take money for playing, yeah. he also would get songwriting credits. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so he would be playing music that he had songwriting credits yeah. on, and. They were like, listen, this is a conflict of interest. You're pl you're pushing this music that you're actually on. On, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Now there was a, a a song called "Sincerely" by the Moonglows, yeah. and he got a co-credit on that. Uh, Chuck Berry's "Maybelline," he got, he got a co-credit on that, and basically he was fired from over this and couldn't work anyway. That's he couldn't get a job. Funny. That's funny. You, you know what the you know what the problem was with that um. He wasn't the last person, last person that did it, because I think that kept going for a while, but it was more hush-hush. Hush. But by, by the mid-60s, there was a law that was passed that said you couldn't do this anymore. Yeah. But from the very late 50s to the mid-60s, it was a gray area. Yeah. A, lot, a lot of people got swept up in it. Yeah. But Alan Freed being probably the most famous. Yeah. Um, now, he tried his luck out on the West Coast. And even in Florida, but it never, most of these stations, they never allowed him to promote shows anymore. Yeah. It was just like, listen, you just, you're a DJ, and that's it. That's it. You know, and that was, a, it, he couldn't get by on that. Now, January 20th, 1965 is a very sad day because Alan Freed would die. Okay. Uh, he would die from uremia and cirrhosis of the liver. liver. Big drinker. Yeah, hell yeah. Obviously. Okay. Um, I, I would think that the, the Paola scandal probably fucking killed him. Oh, yeah, because he probably started drinking with the bread and probably, yeah. you know, he, saw, he, he, was, he was on top of the world. Yeah. Now, a couple of things I got to mention. 1978. I was nine years old. Okay. Here we go. And there was a film that came out called American Hot Wax. And I'll never forget this because I was up and coming as you know, fan of music and everything. I was nine years old, but I was still learning. And my pet, you know, my parents were divorced, and one of my mother's boyfriends took me to a drive-in, yeah, to see this film. Uh oh. And I'll never forget it because we went out to I think it was Valley Stream, Long Island, and to this to this drive-in. And it was like this guy, it, it was, American Hot, Hot Wax is about Alan Freed. Yeah. And it's about the last couple of years of his life. And in this movie, he has Chuck Berry playing himself, okay? Yeah. And he has Screamer Jay Hawkins playing himself, yeah. okay? And there's great scenes in this film where, like, you know, Hawkins comes out of the coffin and all that stuff. And Jay Leno's in this movie, yeah. Frank Drescher's in this a movie. A bunch of people. A bunch of people. And uh, if you have a chance to see it, check it out. It, it's not totally accurate as far as the facts, but they added, it, it some, kind, it, they added some shit. They kind of compiled everything, made it a little, like, closer. But... It's a great film if you want to understand what how Alan Freed was and, and what he had to deal with. Now, he was originally <coughs> buried in Hartsdale, New York, but Judith Fisher Freed carried his ashes to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2002 in Cleveland. Wow, man. Now, between 2002 and 2014, his ashes were there yeah. at, the, at the museum. and But the Hall of Fame in 2014 asked his family to remove the ashes 
and they were permanently and interred in a, in a jukebox-shaped grave, okay, uh, over at Cleveland's Lakeview Cemetery. That's where he lays to rest. You know what's funny about that? That's, I think in 2014 was where I think um, Wolverine Jack was put into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I think he's inducted to the Rock be. and Roll Hall of Fame. It might be. You know? It might be. At that time, maybe yeah. that's why they were like, you know? DJs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Who you know? That's possible. Now, one guy we got to talk about is the Mad Daddy. Mad Daddy, baby. Okay, Pete Myers. Pete Myers, genius. Now, has, he's a genius. There's not a lot about him. No. Not a lot about him. Uh, what I want to say is that without the Mad Daddy, you wouldn't have the Cramps. No. Okay. Cramps are one of my all-time favorite bands. Um, he was very influential. He kind of picked up where Alan Freed left off and just put it on steroids. Right. So did, didn't um, Wolfman Jack also was one of the guys with uh, Adam Free also? That he was influenced by Adam I think he Free. was one of his mentors. No, was it, was no, no. It, he never knew Alan Free. it was Mad Free. Daddy that was his... Uh, Mad, 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 Mad Daddy might have known Alan Free because they were both in Cleveland yeah. at the same time. Now, he was born in 1948 in yeah. San Diego as Pete Myers. Pete Myers. Um, he was a guy who was interested in uh, acting and radio and he did a little bit of both very early on um during the korean war where he was serving he did one interesting thing pete Mai. Do you hear about this okay he actually convinced the north koreans that they were being they were being attacked by a sea monster yes i I read that that's how smart he was yeah yeah. The, the the report was so realistic that that the the north korean army backed up they were afraid they were getting attacked by a monster yeah Okay. Now, in 1957, uh, he kind of doubled down onto what Freed was doing. And he had started at WHKK in Cleveland Radio. And his show was like nothing before or since. That was pretty much like shock radio. It was, it was shock. I mean, the guy would laugh maniacally. Yeah. He would like sound like a maniac. Okay. He would rap his words. They rhymed. Okay, and nobody was doing that kind of thing. No, he really, was very you know? different. And let me give you an example of what he would say. Okay? Welcome, little stinkers, to the land of Winky Blinkers. We've boiled up wavy gravy and it's ready to flow. So hang loose, and Mother Goose, here comes the show. Like, this kind of thing is how he would start the show. He would play horror mu- movie music. He would play rock and roll mixed in with that. Yeah. Um, you know what? It, nothing was, else. He was like, you know who took that gimmick? Like Elvira. Yes. Pretty much. Because he had that kind of Dracula kind of thing. It was him, a horror, there, was, there was a horror movie vibe to yeah. the Mad Daddy. Um, but it was almost like craziness. You yeah. Know, Elvira was a dark, you know, dark yeah. horror thing. You know? And there was Vampira yeah. in, the, in the 50s and 60s. Well, this guy would wear a Dracula cape to the wire and go out and do shit. He would. He would. And like, like, like he would. The, the, just the way he talked and the lyrics he used. And yeah. They were saying that he was that smart. Like he said, if Einstein had an IQ of 160, this guy had an IQ of 172 because he was brilliant. Brilliant. Brilliant guy. Very brilliant. You know? Yep, and like he was just like pretty much shocked. If, if radio, you go, man. if you go on YouTube and look on the Mad Daddy Pete Myers Wavy Gravy, 
you could find all these like yeah. intros of his shows. I have a CD of it. It's fantastic. All the rhymes, all the all the all the intros. He would laugh like a maniac and and and, and, and you know make fun of this and that. It was it was fantastic. But in 1958-59, he was basically um, doing the show. And he also would do these things called the. He had a, a fan club called the Mad Minions. Yeah. And he would, yeah, he would do dances and like hops and stuff like that. Now, do you remember who was the president of the Mad Minions in Ohio? Who was the president? Lux Interior. Lux Interior. Okay. Yeah. Eric Perkisher from the Cramps. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he was the president of the, of, of the fan club, and you know, if you think about Lux and and the music they made. Mad Daddy, and they had a song called The Mad Daddy. Yeah, they the Mad Daddy. Yeah, you know, it really was. It, that wouldn't happen if it wasn't for him. But this guy was like, you know what? He he was like, he was like rhyme and talk and introduce the band, play the music. <laughs> yeah. But the guy was also like, he was like the first like prankster also like yeah. in the radio. Prank like, calls. Prank and, calls. Yeah, all like, kinds of shit. Is everything what turned? You know what? Pretty much, this is what pretty much morning radio is like the morning drive. Like it was before that. It was, no, yeah. I mean, this is what he set the format. He set the format for the morning for drive yeah. for people crank people, people having fun and, and laughing, laughing, right? Yeah. Because you would never have that kind of kind yeah. of radio. Like he was almost like the he was his uh, he was the um, Howard Stern of his day almost. Kind of, you know. Kind of. Now in, in 1959, he would do a stunt where he would jump into Lake Erie. <laughs> he would parachute into Lake Erie. Okay, and. This guy would play the craziest R&B music. Guys like Andre Williams, oh, yeah. Bacon Fat, oh. songs like that. And he would play Link Ray yeah. and you know, all these things. Now, in June of 59, he would take his show to WNEW in New York City. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what it is with these Cleveland guys. When they come to New York, they, they fail. fail. They fail. Okay, but when he went to WINS, he would do his rhyme and rap shtick. And people just didn't like it. No, New they, York is very different, you know. It's like, I, I would, I probably would have loved it. I, I, I don't know. But, yeah, but me and you are different. Like, we would have been, wow, this is new. This is different, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. But they didn't like it, and people wrote letters to the station, and uh, he would bounce over to WINS, and, yeah. and it wouldn't work there. And and unfortunately, in October of 1968, he was so distraught that. In his Upper East Side apartment, he opened a shotgun in his face and killed himself. Killed himself. Yeah. What a fucking yeah. waste. Yeah, you know, really sad. He was only about 40 years old. Yeah. You know? But he was like, again, this guy, for some reason, anytime that's a little bit too ahead of the time, again, they always get to that point that they just get to the point that they can't go any further. Yeah. And like, they self-destruct. Which is like, you know, it, it, it's almost like like musicians. You know, yeah. some people aren't meant to get old. Yeah, think about it. Like, like, could you picture Jim Mor Morrison as an old man? No. Or or uh, Jimi Hendrix? No, no. Okay, but these people are trapped at 27 years old. But I can imagine uh, Patti Smith as an old man. 
I mean, an old Pat, woman. Patty Smith is an old woman. And I saw her a couple months ago. She's old as fuck. Okay, <laughs> she was going into the grafting to get something to eat. Okay, her hair was all white, and I was like, I said to Sandy, "That's fucking Patty Smith." And she goes, "Damn, she looks old." I'm like, "Yeah, she's fucking old." <laughs> but oh you know, my God. some people are just meant to die young. Yeah. You know, and, and I don't know why it happens, but it does. Because they were born. Going to be, be alive. alive. Be alive. Be alive. I did 30 days on Facebook on what happened. You people can private message me and ask me about that if you don't know why. I'll be happy to tell you. Now, we got we, we got to continue. Yeah, we're still here. Okay. Who was probably one of the greatest DJs in our time? It was definitely uh, Wolfman Jack, baby. Okay. And Wolf, Wolfman Jack was very influential on me as a teenager uh, and, and as a young guy. I mean, his voice, the yeah. whole thing, uh, everybody. The stick. Was, yeah, the whole stick, you know. Now, he was born January 21st, 1938 in Brooklyn. Brooklyn. His Park, name, yep. He's a so? New York guy. Yeah, yeah. New York Robert Weston Smith. What's yeah. his name? And uh, he lived in the Park Slope area. Now, it was a tough area in those days. You, there was a million ways to get into yeah. trouble. So his father would buy him what was called a trans-oceanic radio. Which is, you know, pretty much... trans-oceanic radio back in those days was a giant, you know, it sat on a counter, okay? And it caught everything. Yep. You got AM. Early FM. Yep. Shortwave. Everything. You were catching everything up on that. It was made by the Zenith Corporation. Yep. Okay, so it was built to last. It was built for that. Right. Yes. And uh, it's heavy duty construction was, you know, the father was like, yeah, this is your fault. No. Okay. Now, he became a big fan of, 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 of radio and he was able to pick up. AM stations all over the country. Yeah. And uh, because of the long range capability, he was able to hear a lot of R&B music yeah, and all these things. And he would listen to Alan Freed yeah, as a kid. He, okay. But then and later on in life, he also took that Moondog personality yeah, for a while. To another level. To another level. Yeah, exactly. yeah, you know, How come he never got like uh, the little story thing? At that point, it was more accepted. Because in wrestling, in wrestling, there was a team, a tag team named the Moondogs. What? Spina Rex, like, this is like in the 80s. There were a team called the Moondogs. There was Moondogs Park and Moondog Rex. Really? And then, Yeah, and they were called the Moondogs. And that's the same time, like, where this guy was definitely on the radio, Wolfman well, Jack. Wolfman Jack, stuff. by the 80s, he was well established. Yeah. We're talking late 50s, early late 60s. 50, yeah. You know, uh, he was, you know, he was a teenager listening to Alan Freed yeah, and so very influenced by him. There was a guy out of Nashville named John uh, R. Richborg. Yep. And he yeah. would basically mentor him at one point yeah. when, you know, at, at many years later. But um, he attended the National Academy of Broadcasting in Washington, D.C. And he graduated in 1960. Yep. Now, after graduating, he started working at uh, WYOU in Newport News, Virginia. And he was using the name Daddy Jules. Daddy Jules. Daddy yeah. Jules. And in 1962, he would move to country music 
at a station out of Louisiana called KCIJ 1050. Can you imagine him? The, the country music thing I didn't get. Can you imagine him playing country music? Like, I, yeah, it'd be kind of... I don't <laughs> see it. But, you know, country music in those days was, 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 you know, depending on where you were in the country, it, it, it was controversial in some ways. Oh, yeah, it was? You know, you, well, I mean, if you were up in the north here playing yeah. that fucking shit, you know, they don't want to hear that. You know, but he was down in Louisiana where it was huge in, in, in Shreveport. Now, he took over as the station manager and the morning DJ at that station. And it was around that time he met his wife, Lucy. Yep. Okay, her, they used to call her Lou Lamb in 1961. And they would end up having two kids together. But uh, after being influenced by Alan Freed's Moondog broadcast, he decided to change his name to Wolfman Jack. Which was probably the best thing he could Ingenious. 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 And it was basically from his love of horror films yeah. that he took that. But uh, he originally would would be called the Wolfman. Yeah. It wouldn't be Jack. Yeah, it was okay. Wolfman. But it wasn't until um, uh, fuck, what's his name? Ray Charles. Ray Charles yeah. would come out with uh, hit the road Jack. Hit the road Jack. Okay, the road. and he would take the name Jack yep. on top of that. So yeah, it was I the read, Wolfman yeah. Jack. Wolfman. You know what's funny about Wolfman Jack? You would even pronounce the. The songs and stuff, and then you would hear like howling, like a fucking. He like, used to right. like, he would have a wolf howling in the yeah, background. Yeah, it was amazing. It's yeah. like, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was, it was yeah. incredible. Now, what he did, and, and, and this is kind of forgotten in the whole lore of it all. Yeah. But in 1963, he took that whole Wolfman persona down to Mexico. Oh yeah, that's yeah. And you know why he did that? Because they had the biggest trans. They had the biggest transmitters you could you could find. Because if you if you were if you were driving from New York to LA, you never lose the signal on the Mexican station. station. Because they they were like fifty thousand watts of power. Yeah, can you imagine playing the cucaracha? But he didn't even play that. He used to play rock and roll. I know, but imagine. I know. He'd the whole way going across. He went down to XERFAM out of Ciudad Acuna. Yep. Now, the high-powered signal was called a border blast. Yeah, a border blast. And he would be picked up, like you say, across the whole United yeah. States. Dude, the thing was so strong they wouldn't even kill birds. That's the yeah, yeah. <laughs> supposedly. <laughs> if a bird flew in front of the <laughs> antenna, it would kill him. Yeah. I don't know if that's true. Yeah, but yeah. That's, that's, that's funny. What the hell are they shooting out there? I know. How much fucking. How much power is that, oh right? Yeah. Now, he would do funny live commercials. Um, it would be things for like weight loss pills. Oh, yeah. Uh, pills for your sex drive, okay? And they would raise a lot of money based on these commercials, but one thing they raised a lot of money on is this station would have on Pentecostal broadcasters. Oh, yeah, I okay? saw that. So you'd have these Pentecostal Christian broadcasters doing these commercials in between his... rock and roll music and everything. Wasn't his father like a Pentecostal school teacher? Yes, his father was a min- Episcopal oh, minister. Episcopal, that's, what that, that's not Pentecostal. Oh, that's Episcopal, yeah. that's what I mean. That's more conservative. But I, but... But I could see him like totally dealing with this shit yeah. with these people because he grew up with his father right. that was already right. like... Oh. But it was a way to make money. Yeah. Okay, and the station made a lot of money off those Pentecostal commercials. <laughs> <laughs> now, and, and it's interesting too because Mexico is mostly a Catholic country, so to have these Pentecostal preachers was very. How you doing, All right, all right. Now 
he would howl and, and growl and all, make all these noises oh, man, during great. the show. It was great. Okay, and he would tell his listeners sometimes to get naked. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes he would tell his listeners to lay your hand on the radio and squeeze his knobs. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> stuff like that, okay? Like Howard Stern getting the girl to yes. ride, right. the, ride, um, ride the vibrating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna make you. <laughs> That's great. So I can see this guy. I love that. I love that scene. Now, he would say things like, uh, "The Wolfman plays all the best records of the business, and he eats them." Yeah. Okay. And the best thing is that nobody knew his real name. No. Nobody knew what he looked like, so he could keep this anonymity. Okay, about yeah. the whole thing. And uh, he would also, at the time, be broadcasting from Chula Vista, California, and run the st- uh, run a station in Minneapolis as well. Yeah. And he was able to do all this because he would record his shows on tape and just give them out. Yeah. Okay. XARB bought a station, opened up an office on Sunset Boulevard in, in Los Angeles, and he was working there. Yeah. Now, XARB had a range gigantic range of, 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 of area and it reached basically the whole country and it was becoming very popular what they were playing now at that point he met Don Kelly at XERB and he would become his business partner for the next 20 years yeah uh, Kelly saw a potential in the Wolfman okay that he could br- he could branch out into uh, music uh, movies, yeah. commercials, he whatever. He did a few movies. He did the um, American Graffiti. He did a book. And then somebody played himself in the and he played somebody else. Right. Um, you know what's interesting? What they, didn't he come to New York for a little while also? About 1973. And he's the one that would complete actually with Cuts and Brucey to the point that they got rid of He left yeah. and then other the company was working for pretty much high Cuts and Brucey. Exactly. Yeah, the NBC. NBC. Um, but that would be couple of years. In 1971, the Mexican government, being pro-Catholic at the time, and overwhelmingly Catholic, they decided that they were going to pull any kind of Pentecostal ads on the radio stations at the time. And that involved XERB losing about 50% of their fucking income. Alright, and you know, it was, it, 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 he had to leave. Yeah, basically. Pretty much, it killed him. Once it they killed did him. That. Right. So he would move to K D A Y K Day, fifteen eighty in Los Angeles. Yep. And uh, it didn't pay him well to be there, but he had an endless supply of tapes. Yeah. Uh, from shows that he had done, and and what Wolfman Jack did was he syndicated himself. Yeah. He was really the first DJ to be syndicated. Yep. There was no companies in those days like Clear, Clear yeah. Channel, and no, nobody that would that would that would syndicate you. He basically brought his own tapes of other shows that he had done a year before or whatever, and put them all over the place. Yeah. Okay. And these places would run his show. He also would be on Armed Forces Radio yeah, starting in 1970. That was huge. That yeah, that was huge. Radio. I mean, he was really huge. Look, he, Armed Forces Radio was in Vietnam. Yeah. He was he was playing to the guys in Vietnam. Yeah. Now, in August of 73, Don Kelly would get him a gig at WNBC in New York City. WNBC. WNBC. And uh, it was around the same time that he had made the movie American Graffiti, yep. where he kind of plays himself. Yep. 
And uh, they hyped his coming to the radio station yeah. constantly. It was a big news pla- newspaper yeah. blitz. Stop listening to Bruce. Listen yeah. to Wolfman Jack. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> now, right, because he was in direct competition with yeah. Cousin Brucey. They would say things like, uh, Cousin Brucey's days are numbered. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And Cousin Brucey will be buried by Wolfman yeah. Jack. Okay, in the newspapers. Now, through the late 60s and very early 70s, Wolfman uh, was branching out kind of into other outlets. Yeah. He would do commercials. He would make novelty albums with pickup bands that he would get and things like that. But uh, he, even, he even had, he even had, if you remember, he had like a short thing where he would introduce like horror movies, just like you know, I think viral. he did. I think he did. He did something. I think he, he did a last song, like but that. he did say probably last like a year or so. Yeah. And it was Wolfman Jack saying <laughs> Frankenstein. Well, it was something. There was the Wolfman a, Jack show. Yeah. Okay. In '73, he would get his big break, and he would appear in the film American Graffiti, directed by George Lucas. Yeah. Um, I always the, forget that it was George Wicker that did it. That's one of his. And first it had uh, it had um, uh, Richie Cunningham, the yep. first cover. Ron Howard. It had it had uh, Shirley. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, Shirley Ellerberg. Yeah. Shirley. 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 Yeah. Okay, that was his girlfriend in high school. Yeah. And all the hot rod cars. Yeah. And I love that movie. That's and, a good uh, movie. One thing that Lucas did for him, because he was a big big fan of Wolfman Jack. Yeah. Is he actually gave him points, uh, half a point in the movie. He was able to finagle that. Yeah. And the fact that he got a half a point to make money graffiti, it was a constant supply of income yeah. for the rest of his life. Yeah. Okay. You know, and another guy I gotta mention who did the same thing, who got a little bit more, was John Travolta in Greece. Oh yeah. After Greece, John Travolta never had to work again. Yeah. Okay, because the points he got from Greece could supply him for the rest. But of the you know who did that? Why he hasn't done really more movie? Or Chris Tucker did that with Rush Hour. Okay, really? Rush Hour. He said, "Don't pay me. Give me points. Give me points or whatever the That's movie." That's been done. So many anytime times, that yeah. movie come in, he's it, getting he royalty. Anything, anytime the movie plays anywhere, he gets some kind of royalty. TV, right? Yeah, TV. Yeah. Anytime it plays. Now you might remember, uh, Wolfman did a lot of TV movies and appearances. He would end up on The Odd Couple. Yeah. He would end up on What's Happening yeah. when we were kids, right? He would end up on Wonder Woman even. Yeah. Uh, Hollywood Squares a few times. He was even in The Love Boat, I think. And I think he was, and he was on Married with Children. <laughs> he was, I remember yes. Married with Children, but yes. they wanted to say, hey, I'm Wolfman Jack. Jack. <laughs> who are you? The kids go, who are you? Who are you? They don't know who you are. But Al knew who you You're Wolfman Jack. Jack. <laughs> Now, one thing he hosted at that time, in, in, from 73 to 81, was a live concert show called The Midnight Special. I used to love this show. Yeah. Okay, as a kid, it was something I watched as a kid late at night on the weekends, uh, and you would catch the latest bands. Yeah, okay. again, it was like, uh, yeah, he was the first vid- video jockey. Like he was on TV. I mean, third division jockey, yeah. like, like uh, the VJs. Exactly. He was like on TV, and that's what I think made him so big. Because you can sometimes you hear the voice, but then when you can put a face to the voice, you're like, oh, yeah, that's who Wolfman Jack is. It's such a different way than not seeing that. You know, and he had that that unmistakable voice, like yeah. that, that gravelly voice. You know who he was? Yeah, it's like the guy that's um, you know, the guy that did the Christmas story. What's his name? The, the voice. That guy's a very famous radio, and um. And uh, NPR still play his thing, uh, Jonathan Stewart. Right, right, like right, right, right. And his voice, like when he tells a story, you're like, 
stuck to the radio like, oh my God, this is great. Because yeah. he's telling a compelling you story. Know, it's it's hard for people to understand what we're talking about today yeah. with, with, with free radio. And, yeah. and, you know, these were things before the internet. These were things before this non-stop shit that we live with today. But you, you, you had to listen to those things. Yeah. Yeah. You know what's funny? I think Wolfman Jack might even have... To this day, maybe like a series channel, they might play the old stuff. <laughs> you can, you can, while. you can find online a lot of his shows. Okay, out there. Yeah, right, it's very. I mean, YouTube has a, a million things. It's yeah. very interesting. Um, one thing I gotta mention though, guys, he was also in a more American graffiti. Right, he was in the sequel. the sequel. <laughs> I think it was a voiceover kind of thing. Yeah, but in Halloween in 1973, and I got, I gotta mention this for my. Johnny Thunder's New York Dolls fans out there, okay? Uh, David Johansson from the New York Dolls actually befriended Wolfman Jack at his time at WNBC. Wow. Okay, and if you re if you remember David Johansson, he's got a gravelly voice like, yeah. like, like Wolfman Jack, yeah. okay? And the New York Dolls in Halloween in 73 had planned a show at the Waldorf Astoria. Wow. Okay, and you could see this show online um, there's a, a DVD out there called All Dolls Up that shows a whole bunch of scenes from it. But Wolfman Jack actually broadcasted his show live from there. From that show. Wow. And he basically told everybody to come down. Yeah, the fucking New York Dolls up like come down. Created a riot. Okay. <laughs> yep. It was it was incredible. It was incredible. And I have to mention that because I mean it's awesome. But in 76, he would have the Wolfman Jack show yep. for a little while. And, you know, he would go on to, like, you know, the Married Children episode yeah. and a bunch of other things. And uh, this would go on until he died, which was July 1st, 1995, of a heart attack. Uh, he basically had done a show and he passed away and he was living in Belvedere, North Carolina right there. Yeah, and it was, he was young. I didn't, when I realized that he died only at 57, I thought he was much more older than that, you know that? Which was like, holy shit. And I yeah. think he just died of like a heart attack. Just a heart attack. He just went yeah, yeah, yeah it's sick, sick, you know? Definitely. The, the great Wolfman Jack. Yeah, I, you know, at, in, in, the, in the age now of, of uh, satellite radio yeah. and, and, and the internet and, and, and you know I just wish people could appreciate what these guys had to do they put their careers and their lives on the line to, to really yeah. push this kind of music and they also had to move once in a while just to continue their career yeah. you know which is like they would move all over the country yeah. because all of a sudden this station changed formats yeah. and you, you know you had to go to something yeah. else yeah. yeah you you know and 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 you know, it's kind of a lost thing, but yeah. it really was very important in the whole genre of music. Yeah, like I don't, I don't remember the last time I listened to like radio, radio. Like I listened to Sirius was around. Yeah. I listened to uh, Pandora, and that whole thing with the deep jack is like almost like a dying breed. Yeah, being a disc jockey, I mean, Little Steven, uh, Little Steven Van Zandt, he's got Little Steven's Underground Garage. That's something everybody, if you're watching me right now, you should be listening to it. He's done some great things with, with that. Uh, I don't like it that he's a Bruce Springsteen guy, but but, but, but <laughs> uh, I respect him for what he does. He's great in the Sopranos, goddammit. Yes. yes, he was. <laughs> and I do appreciate what he does with promoting new bands and all that yep. stuff. You know, that's, that's what it's all about. Um, so, 
we're done with this rock show today? I think that was a I great show. Yes. So we got a lot of feedback from Ann and Free to um, Peter uh, Myers and the legendary Wolfman Jack. We covered a lot of um, eras. A lot of did. decades. I think we did. And Mike, like always, great job. Always a lot of info. And remember, people, we're moving the show to YouTube. Uh, these are some of the final recordings we're doing on Facebook Live. We'll, we have a YouTube channel, but you need to subscribe. Look up Gang Lumped Up. You're going to see my big head. Go to Let It Gang Lumped Up uh, on YouTube. Like he says, his big head. And uh, sign up. We, we need as many subscribers as we can. We're gonna, we want to start going YouTube Live soon. Yeah. And uh, sign up, people. We love you. Sign up. Have a good one. And Mike, remember, don't, don't get, get drunk, drunk, get, get on top. See you guys soon. Right. Cheers.